Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, what's up, everybody? And welcome to the first episode of the new year, the new decade. Gosh, I'm so excited to have you guys here and along for the ride as we kickstart 2020 with massive amounts of momentum, love, abundance, and support. I am super excited about this week's guest, uh, Mr. Corey Mascara. So Corey's a very dear friend of mine, and he's also the brand new author of Stop Missing Your Life, How to Be Deeply Present in an Unpresent World. And in this book, Corey offers a roadmap that'll help you reconnect with your life in a beautiful way. And we talk a lot about that on this episode. But as a frequent guest on the Dr. Oz Show and an instructor of positive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania, Corey's on a mission to help people embody the principles of mindfulness in a practical and relatable way. His meditations have been heard more than 10 million times in over 50 countries, and he spent six months in silence living as a monk in Burma where he'd meditated for over 14 hours a day. So Corey, if anybody in my friend circle or in the world, has probably one of the most insightful lenses on the practice of meditation, on the practices of mindfulness, on what it means to experience the fullness of yourself without shutting down, turning away, or numbing the sensations of the moment. And I loved this episode one because it was a beautiful conversation that went down God knows how many rabbit holes on presence and how to deepen into it, why curiosity is the opposite of fear, what Corey learned about life in Burma when he was there as a monk, what is intuition, and a few other just incredible conversational topics on some deep, heavy things. Really, like one of the things I love about Corey in this episode, and one thing I loved about this episode in particular is that we didn't hold back. We went down so many different rabbit holes, but you know, Corey's just got such a great understanding of the human dimension from his lens and his experience that he was able to explain very dense and complicated topics through a, a nurturing sense of giving and love. And, and I think that taught me a lot. And I hope you guys take away a ton from this episode on how you can stop running away from the present moment, how you can start to build a better relationship with the feelings you may feel in any moment, whether they're good, they're bad, or the feelings you may feel or feelings you've been running from, whatever it is that you aren't experiencing in the moment. I hope that this episode gives you the courage, gives you the confidence, and even gives you the tools to just start diving in one step at a time. All of Corey's links are available in the show notes. You guys can go and check those out whenever you please. If you haven't already subscribed to the Stay Grounded podcast on iTunes, if you're not in our communities already, please go to rajana.com forward slash stay grounded to learn more about the free Stay Grounded community and how that can be a daily part of your 2020 and beyond accountability experience. And thank you so much for coming back in 2020 with us on this journey to just be better, experience more, and just live full and amazing lives. So without further ado, guys, again, welcome back. And I hope you guys enjoy 
my good friend, Mr. Corey Mascara. Cheers. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to another episode of Stay Grounded. Hope everybody listening is uh, excited because, damn, dude, we've been trying to make this work for a while. What up, Corey? Hey, man. Great to Uh, be here. I'm so excited uh, for this. Like, legitimately, we've been trying to make this for a year. I know. And you had to go write a book. (laughs) You had, you just had to write a book and stay out of my life for (laughs) way too long. I know. I stayed out of a lot of things for way too long. <laughs> no, man, I'm so excited for you, the book and everything right now, man. I think it's all divine timing. We're, we're chatting exactly when we need to be chatting. So I already introed you and all of your wonderfulness. So we'll skip the boring details. But I would love to maybe just start with the concept of presence. I think that's one of the most fascinating things that have really boiled for me in the last 12 months. Like, really understanding what presence is. Hmm. So maybe can, we, can you start there and just define presence and the way you play with that word and what it means to you? Yeah. I think presence is something that we deepen into. It's not a binary thing like we have it or we don't have it. I see it as something, it's um, when we're allowing ourselves to experience more of our our internal experience, more parts of ourselves or have permission to be present. And we also allow ourselves to experience more of the world around us. And to get there requires both softening walls of guarding that we've put up over the course of a lifetime that prevent us from experiencing certain things, accessing certain emotions, touching certain parts of ourselves. That's not a good way to put it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But you get what I, I think it's pointing to. And you no, know, we were talking about this before, but like these peeling back the layers that we put up, I call them the, the traumas of life that we put up throughout the traumas of life that cause us to have to put on a certain mask or to, uh, to be a certain person in the world. And it actually prevents us from experiencing the fullness of who we are and instead just like a compartmentalized version of ourselves. So part of presence, because since presence is intensely vulnerable, means actually peeling back some of those layers so we could experience more wholeness. But people hear that and then go, okay, so we just like getting back to our childlike state. Like kids are just, they have access to everything. So shouldn't we just be like babies? Isn't that like the ultimate form of of enlightenment? And that's not quite it because babies have a, a lot of suffering. They might have a lot of access to their emotions and you can see like how they can navigate experiencing a a moment of joy and then the next moment just deep sadness but they're on this roller coaster ride and there's not much of an awareness of their experience as it's happening they're more sucked in it so presence also gives us this capacity to experience what we're experiencing but uh, with a container like an internal container that can hold that experience in such a way that we're not completely overwhelmed or burdened by it And the deeper we move into that, the more we can experience the many dimensions and multitudes of of our life, which in my experience is um, the ultimate form of being alive. I think one thing I want to just kind of dive deeper in is I think there's an element of fear when it comes to experiencing all of life, Mm -hmm. right? Like a lot of people maybe are scared to be present because they're scared to experience that pain. How do you? I guess build the courage to be present in 
parts of life you rather just maybe drink through or work your ass off through or, you know, like really not feel like run away from, because really that's the opposite of presence is, is avoidance, right? Like how does one begin to create the courage to even be present? Yeah. So courage is an interesting word in the context of, of presence. One of the chapters that I talk about is uh, curiosity. So I talk about four pillars of presence, focus, allowing, curiosity, and embodiment. And the title of that chapter is curiosity as the opposite of fear. Now, a lot of us, when we think of fear and what the antidote to it or the opposite of it, we, we think of courage. It's either like love or courage. But the argument I build out in the book is that the opposite of fear is actually curiosity. So fear causes us to withdraw, turn away. Curiosity causes us to lean in. Fear presupposes that something is unsafe. Curiosity presupposes that it is safe. Fear causes us to get small. Curiosity causes us to expand. So if I could chunk everything down into like one thing, like one thing that could deepen presence in a person's life, one thing that can take them more into their experience rather than away from it, it's curiosity. It's, it's the glue that pulls us closer. And in those moments of, of fear or in those moments of like discomfort of like, actually, I don't know if I want to be here. The beautiful thing about the mind state of curiosity is that it's just here to understand that experience a little bit more. And you don't necessarily have to go wherever there is. Let's say there's a, a, a sense of grief that you're working with, but you're not giving yourself access to that grief. There's just a wall over there. The first thing we typically think of is like, all right, I got to peel back that wall and get to the grief and experience this and have some cathartic purge. But we can honor the, the wisdom of the wall. I, I look at that wall and I'm like, wow, like, I love that wall. It's just trying to take care of me. It knows that if I touch into that grief, it might be really intense. Maybe the last time I touched into grief and cried, like my father said, buck up and be a man. And like all this stuff that just accumulates over the course of a lifetime that causes us to, to put up these walls. So we can become curious first about the wall and just be like, oh, wow, what's it like to feel the numbness there, the tightness there, the fear there? And that, that curiosity toward that first level of experience is the thing that often starts to soften the wall itself. But we bring that curiosity in without an agenda. So when we're talking about presence, it's really like meeting the fullness of, of what's here. Even if it's not what we want to be here, even if it doesn't feel like it's openness, that is the first step and the final step. And then everything that comes out of that is just what comes out of it. Um, and that's what I'm interested in. Curiosity yeah. feels like an easy thing to commit to. Like it's not, you're not committing to, to getting the solution. You're just committing to asking why. Yes. Or maybe leaning into looking at something with a childlike eye, which is innocent and not taking on responsibility. Yeah. And, right. And, and there's, I think there's a freeing nature in that. There's a, there's a sense of freedom when it comes to curiosity being the only thing you commit to. Yes. Right. Anytime that someone has a, a fear around their experience or is resisting their experience is most likely because they have some sort of future orientation with it of like where they're trying to get with it or what they think they should be experiencing. And a lot of personal development, rightfully so and in a good way, works on a horizontal plane, which is like, I'm here and I want to get here. This work is more working on a vertical plane. It's like, you're here, let's get you more here. Let's experience more of, of what this is. And the beautiful thing about that is um, 
the future doesn't happen anywhere other than in the present. So, the, <laughs> right, because no one's ever lived in the future. It's just an idea in the present. So the more we take care of this moment as it is, the more we sub- we actually take care of the next moment and subsequently the future. So, yeah, it, it, there is a simplicity to it. I love that you said the future is in the now because the past is in the now too. Right. And that's when it starts getting really meta because <laughs> when you start to recognize that the future and the past is in the now, you can dictate and create different realities that serve this moment, that serve this way of living, this, this existence, this, this reality. And that's just a beautiful way to live. I, I'm curious about, like you mentioned, kind of letting go of the future. It comes down to expectation. What has been your relationship with just the, even the idea of expectation? whether from others, from another moment, from a future state. And how is, I guess, even maybe you can dive in a little bit in your story on kind of like how you got to be where you are now from spending time with the monks. And like, like I'd, I'd love to kind of just see your journey, bro. Yeah. Well, the journey didn't start for any noble reasons. I got into meditation because I was trying to impress a girl. I had a hippie girlfriend in college. She was in a meditation I wanted her to think I was cool. So I started meditating. So there was no noble pursuit. Uh, And then she broke up with me shortly after. And the good aspect of that was that the pain of that breakup motivated me to actually take the meditation more seriously. And then, yeah, long story longer, I, a year later, I was uh, in a monastery with a shaved head living with, with monks. I was particularly interested in cultivating a quality of peace and contentment that could exist independent of the external variables of my life being perfectly manufactured to to my liking. I was disillusioned by that. I was seeing that I was exerting so much effort and energy trying to arrange the puzzle pieces of my life in such a way that the picture would constantly look good. And then sometimes actually getting there, but then still feeling like, ah, this isn't quite it. Or then I needed to be better, bigger, there was this balance between like wanting to grow, but also not letting all of my happiness just be dependent on when I get to those milestones. So the idea of going to the monastery was to sever myself from all of the things that were currently bringing me happiness and contentment, and then see if I could, I could cultivate a quality of peace within, which is super trite and cliche. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But the journey, man, I mean, did you feel like I guess this is a question I'm curious about. I'm sure others are thinking too. Like in order to experience a certain level of connection with self, do we have to go down journeys like you did? Or can our present day lives create the same level of enlightenment just if we looked at it through a certain lens? The short answer is no, you don't have to go down that path. And I think we're both in circles where we have met a lot of people that are on their own journeys and exploring this stuff in in different ways and unique ways. Where I'm at right now, as much as, like I still have dreams of being in the monastery and like wanting to be back there. Um, there's a big part of my heart that wants to be there and, and feels it's very noble, uh, profound work. But there was so much that didn't get activated while I was in the monastery, meaning like relationship stuff, different triggers, 
that could only get activated and worked through in the context that put them there, like family dynamics and stuff. So a big part of my path right now is bringing this quality of, of awareness and presence, mindfulness into my day-to-day life and seeing all the ways like I still get snagged. It's one thing to have deep peace in a monastic setting where there's no money concerns and everything's taken care of you. It's another thing to do it in the world. And people sometimes put down those that renounce the world and go into a monastery. Uh, I, I don't. I, I think that's a great pursuit and it's um, a powerful way to explore being alive. I've just, and maybe if I had a worse life and didn't have good family and stuff, I might have pursued that. But there are too many things connecting me to this world as I know it right now. And I'm more interested in doing the work of waking up here in, in real time. Dude, that's such a beautiful way to look at it. Like, I feel like even for me, like I've been hard on myself sometimes mm-hmm. when I start to experience a certain dynamic of life and I feel like I should be doing something else. And, and like, it's that inner battle of choosing. It's, it's really choice. Like mm-hmm. what life experience do we want to have? Then we may have multiple life experiences along the way. We may have an experience in another lifetime, but I think that's another powerful part of just staying present and practicing presence, which is coming back to hearing that voice that tells you what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. How do you build a better relationship with that voice inside of you? That voice and what we're pointing to with that voice is still a, still a bit of a mystery to me because it has so many different layers to it. Yeah. And right, there's like the most surface, which might be like stronger elements of the ego at play wanting to control things. And we have just a total unconsciousness to the story that that part of us is telling us like who we are, where we're going, like why we're the greatest thing since sliced rye bread and why we're the worst thing since Nickelback. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Nickelback fans. That's just can be a dominant thought process. And so that's one form of the voice, but it's, it's more of a superficial form. When we drop beneath that in meditation and different contemplative practices, like even journaling or, or plant medicine work, which we were talking about, we step out of that more surface layer of story and narrative and voice and drop into something deeper that's more akin to stillness itself. And then often in that space, like more silence, there are these spontaneous emergings, uh, spontaneous insights that don't even always have words. It's like a felt sense of what should be done or a felt mm-hmm. sense of what the next step is. Yeah. We could access that in different parts of our lives, even without a deeper practice, but that we get more and more access when we're practicing forms of stillness. And I don't totally mean just like stillness in, um, in the sense of the body not moving, but stillness in like how we actually go inward and what we connect to and uh, not running away from this moment as it is. It's surrendering to this moment. Yes. In a way, right? Like getting out of your head and into your and your heart and your body and that's in that space that is the still i think stillness is really the absence of that voice in your mind it's it's listening to a different voice in the world of stillness only one voice can exist and that is the voice of truth yes like a practical thing people can do if they're working with a question of like, how do I find out which voice to listen to? Because it can be really confusing in the beginning. And I still have, I mean, even with the book writing process, there were just so many voices inside of me that I was like, which one is truth? Which one's like surface ego? It's, it's very hard to tell. But to get more insight, there's a short visualization you could do where you imagine yourself standing at a well 
and you're just holding a pebble in your hand and, and that pebble can have a, a question with it, which is like, what should I do next? Let's say, or what should I do in this relationship? And you just imagine yourself dropping that pebble into the well. When it hits the water, notice what answers splash up to that question. And you'll get some surface, you'll get some immediate responses. And when you get those responses, just say thank you. And then ask what else? What else is there? What, what else do I need right now? And then see what comes up. And then acknowledge that, let that go and say what else? And you just keep going deeper and deeper. And the combination of that, the visualization and also like acknowledging and releasing whatever comes up takes us into these places where we, we sort of run through all of our normal ways, all of the like surface level stuff. And then it's inevitable that the, the deeper intuitions or gut instincts will start to arise. What do you think intuition is? So the different, I, I think there's two ways to look at it. There's, there's intuition that, can de- that develops very practically as someone gains some expertise in something. So let's, for instance, like a therapist that has thousands of hours working with, with all different people, they're going to start to have a, a develop a subconscious right. sense of like, yeah. oh, this person's shifting their posture. Like that usually means something. And then they could be like, I, I feel like something's off for you right now. And then the person's like, whoa, how did you know? And the therapist's like, I don't know how I know. It, it was just intuitive. So there's not so much anything mystical there. Patterns. Yeah, patterns. And those get processed in the brain in very deep ways. Then there are like these other forms of intuition that I think are more closely associated with this, this space of stillness where when we step out of our individual sense of self and start to connect more to the collective and our interconnectedness with others, which right, the, I saw this for the first time in, in Burma, but just how much we're constantly creating a distinction between ourselves and the outside world. And if we do take the perspective uh, and I do take this perspective strongly that, that it is just oneness. The more we step out of our self-centered orientation toward life and the normal story of our lives, the more we access that interconnection. And then in that space, moments of intuition come up and even moments of psychic power, which mm. <laughs> might be a big thing to get into. But there were a lot of these spontaneous realizations that came up on retreat that I, I can't explain. They're just spontaneous knowings. And I never talk about this stuff out loud because it sounds super woo-woo, but it was just like I, whatever entity I am or my being like merged with the collective being. And it was like something just got punctured and connected between the two of us. And I had access to new ways of knowing things. So karma was one of those things. It was very, I had this experience where I was in the monastery uh, I was like three months in very deep meditation and I burped of all things to create an insight. I burped <laughs> and had the most profound understanding of karma in my entire life uh, ever. I, it just, there was 100% full seeing and knowing that everything is interconnected. Can't describe it any more than that. It was a totally different kind of no, it was like an omniscient kind of understanding, which yeah, I'm not going to build a career off of that and like telling people that they could get that through meditation. Yeah. But these are like the little things that start to happen in a very trippy way that make you wonder, oh, wow, the, the things are bigger than like the surface stuff going on in my mind. You know, what's interesting. Like I had this realization a few days ago before we were born, the universe was creating. It was creating good, bad. It was just constantly in flow. After we die, 
the universe will constantly be creating mm. in good, bad, in every way, right? And so when you start to play in that space where there's always creation, like there's a flow of life that's just always on, whether we prescribe to it or not, it is around us, it is happening. It starts to make sense when you drop down and just stay present and you really engage in that stillness that you're going to access some sort of power or universal flow or creative energy or just connection Mm -hmm. to life that has way more wisdom than anything we have access to. Like it makes sense. Like that's where creative inspiration comes from, right? Like you can be in the shower and all of a sudden have the most brilliant idea. It is that, that, that patience. Maybe that's why there's so many great ideas in the shower because it's forcing people to be still, right? It's a forced moment of stillness or when you're driving, like you don't have any other choice to pay attention to anything else. And you're just there. Yeah. Um, Right. So dude, I pretty much on your, I'm on your train, bro. I love it. (laughs) It's also a freeing sense, like, right? It, it feels like freedom when you prescribe to that idea and that way of living. Oh God, dude, dude it's, it's, it's the ultimate freedom. Well, I, I try to stay away from absolutes like that, but there's something to that kind of surrender into, no, I, I will actually say it's the ultimate freedom. And, and when I say it's the ultimate freedom, like when we like go of ourselves, which is like, the hardest work to do consistently because yeah. there are so many, you can't run a business, you can't run an Instagram, a Facebook or any, like all these things reinforce the sense of self on such subtle levels that it's very difficult to maintain that deep interconnectedness in the world. Although we can hold increasing deeper levels of it, we're most likely not going to experience like this profound boundlessness that we might in on a retreat or an ayahuasca ceremony. But when we do, like we do get to see this tape, it's, it's, it's like climbing a mountain with a hundred pound backpack for 30 years. And then you get to the top and you just get to stop and put the backpack down. You're like, I did not realize I was carrying that weight and it's free. And, and the challenge is like, how do we access more of that in our lives? And, and I think that can happen in a variety of ways, like practices that drop us more into our body that just soften us into this moment are profound and meditation I've found to be one really powerful way to do that. But also just the mindset shift as you're going throughout your life of just like, can I trust <laughs> as Gabby Bernstein might say that the universe has my back or that things are kind of unfolding in their own way or that maybe I don't have as much control as I like to think I have. That, although it's, it scares the ego part of the brain, settles the, the fundamental nature of us. Well, I think when you find trust in that belief, right, you, you actually create the ultimate safe space to be still. <laughs> so back to that original question that we started this whole thing on is like, how do people feel the courage to stay still? That is through an element of surrender. Yes. Right. It's a surrender to have the answer. It's a surrender to be where you want to be. It's, it's just surrendering away from all of that. Yes. And just allowing yourself to be. Yes. Exactly. In this moment, perfect as you are. Yeah. You you use the word safety, which is a big theme in my book. And I actually consider it the, the linchpin of presence. So if we consider presence to be being able to experience the fullness of ourselves and experience the fullness of our moment, that 
absolutely requires a degree of safety because that stuff can be uncomfortable. So you could see safety get developed externally, right? You can imagine in, uh, in a, a small team in a business, people are going to be more willing to take risks and try something and access certain emotions if they feel like it's okay to do so. So that can get created externally. But we can also create an internal sense of safety where where we feel like we can be with the fullness of our experience without having to shut down, turn away, or numb. So this didn't make it into the book. So all the listeners get like a yes, yes. <laughs> But I outlined almost like a, a hierarchy of needs with safety. And it, it surprisingly did end up matching very similar to both Maslow's hierarchy of needs in terms of like how we can scaffold deeper and deeper levels of safety and also surprisingly the chakras, but like some like baseline physical safety, like just knowing that oh, I can pee, I'm not in threat, like that creates a level of safety. Then there's like a social safety where it's like, do I fit in? Does the tribe accept me? And that's like deeply embedded us. And there's like a, a psychological safety. Like, is it okay to be me? Is it okay to have my thoughts, to have these emotions? And that's like another deeper level of safety. But then the next level is, is it okay to not be me? And that one I call spiritual safety. And it's wow. like the final gate into the deepest level of presence. Because so much of the early safety is safety for the ego to feel okay. But to move beyond that, we have to feel okay to let go of the ego. So is it okay? Am I safe to not be me? That often only happens spontaneously by creating the conditions over, over a course of time where something in us lets go. And then that sense of self no longer needs to reinforce itself. Holy shit, dude. I'm like, like as I'm thinking about that, like that question is actually something I'm probably going to meditate on later because it's, there is such an attachment that the level of attachment that I just felt in my body to the fear yeah. of like, if, is it okay not to be me? Because that is to me in a way, it's like the antithesis of like self-love. Like I love being me. Yeah. Is it okay to not be me is like super meta on me right now. That seems like the opposite of self-love. Like if you truly love yourself, right? Like why would you not want to be yourself? Right. And so the, the question then to meditate on is who is loving who? And, and where is this separation of parts? Where does love come from? And is it a conditional love? If, and what does even unconditional love look like? And so the, in that inquiry of like, I love myself and that feeling like self-love, the contemplation is uh, who, who and what, what is this self? And I would explore like, what are the perceived boundaries of it? Like, how do I conceive it in my mind? And do I perceive it as like something that's just separate than the rest? Is that self, the thoughts moving through my mind? Is that self, the emotions that come up? Is it my body? Mm. Right, Because all of those things are constantly changing. So is there any like center point that we can point to as like, oh, that's the self that I love. And and if not, then, then what is it? And I would say this letting being okay not being yourself is actually the ultimate form of self-love because you're you're loving and embracing your most fundamental nature but both are important and people try to transcend before they befriend i'm a strong proponent of actually falling in love with yourself 
on the ego version and ego I use with a lot of affection. I don't mean just like, gimme, 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 yeah, yeah. just like anything that creates a sense of I. So that, that part actually first needs to be embraced in very deep ways before I think we, we transcend it. And people get in a lot of trouble with that, especially when there's been trauma. It's very compelling to try and transcend the body, transcend uh, perceived social awkwardness, very common in the meditation community, and not actually do the work of making peace with some of those deeper pains that were there, which, which a lot of times can happen better in the therapy's office rather than in a silent retreat center. So if we're, we're interested in like having full access to ourselves rather than just like numbing ourselves to ourselves, I think a lot of forms of transcendence are glorified dissociation. Then my journey is like loving all of it, including like the ego part that just wants to be seen. And, and that's a big thing for me. I, when I was like in kindergarten, my family still makes fun of me for this. I just always wanted to be the line leader. <laughs> like I wanted to be first in uh, fifth grade, I, I was like the class president and I just always liked being seen and getting praise. And there's a fine line between like how much of that is a deep karmic energy sort of thing moving through me. Like I came into the, this world liking to make things big and grow things. I don't know how to do anything less than 110%. And I think you resonate with that too. Uh, yeah. There's a fine line between that and then also like the accumulation of likes or follows and, and some of the ego stuff that can come with it that is a natural part of like building something. So I'm constantly trying to parse through, separate and, and just hold like all of it, the, this, this innate part of me that likes to grow and expand with also the potential that I can get trapped sometimes and then feel like I need more praise in order to be fulfilled. And it's a hard, it's a very hard thing. Being human a bitch. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Who signed me up for this? It's better <laughs> than being an ant, an ant though. So I'll take it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, I feel like we're just a bunch of awesome, beautiful souls that got trapped in these meat suits. And then we, <laughs> we're learning how to use these meat suits while other people are learning how to use their meat suits. Yeah. And in all of that, there's just play combined with confusion, combined with letting go, combined with taking on. And it's just this dance and you don't really learn how to dance. Like we're not taught to dance. Yeah. We know how to dance. Like right. I think we've always known going back to that stillness and that presence. We've always known there's that understanding and knowing like you have things, no, you know, things about yourself that you're just like, I just know these things. Yeah. Right? And I think the game then becomes just unlayering to just remember. Yeah. Really remember that truth and remember that peace and that stillness and that that wonderful sense of play. Um, I love that phrase, unlayering to remember. That's a good one. Mm. You should it, write it, that down. Put that in your book. book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, we'll get a get a get a chapter shout out. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's but it's it's I think what you said, you know, is it okay to not be me? Or is, is it can I can I have that? That really is just separating yourself from this experience. And I think that's healthy. And I've never thought to do that. I've never considered it. Mm. But now I'm like, I feel even a sense of freedom from just surrendering from needing to fulfill whatever Raj was put on this earth to fulfill. Yeah. Right. Like a separation from that. Like if I did not do a damn thing, I didn't record another podcast. If I didn't start another company, if I didn't sell another thing, if I didn't help another person, Am I enough? If no. I wasn't me, can I love me? 
Yeah. Yes, that, that's it. That's it. That's where it gets powerful and, and special. Yeah. And that's like the ultimate form of freedom from every story that feels like enlightenment. I don't even know what enlightenment is, but if it had to yes. feel like anything, that feels like the answer. Yeah. I think that's the common room that most people are pointing to in their, in whatever enlightenment path they have. It's like taking us closer to that thing. I liked watching how you shifted your relationship to it, even over the course of like the 10 minutes there, where it was like initially a resistance to it and then like a softening into it. I remember I read this book called Invitation to Awaken by a guy named Tony Parsons when I was in college. And it was just when I was getting into the meditation stuff. And most people don't know this, but most of my early medit, like the first year of me getting into mindfulness meditation was was primarily because I liked the identity of being someone into mindfulness meditation. Mm -hmm. I was originally an economics major. I was kind of like exploring something else. I was like, man, I could be the mindfulness guy. That's a cool thing. And I loved the work and the science, but it was mostly like I was a guy in college that threw fraternity parties and was also in meditation. And I liked that. I liked that people didn't expect it. I liked that people talked about it. And that like was the big fuel early on. And I read this book called Invitation to Awaken. I don't even know if it's a good book or not because I haven't read it since. But every time I picked it up, it talked about these ideas of like letting go of the self, that you're like nothing. And I'm not kidding. That book put me in bouts of depression. Not depression might be a strong word, but like really profound. Like I just resisted it. I hated the author. I hated the book. I put it down for a couple of weeks. And I was like, oh, I don't like this. And then I open it up again and it'd be a little bit more receptive. But I still don't like this. It was the, the part of me that didn't like it was the, the part of me that was like creating this nice identity for myself and did not want to let go of that. And it, it wasn't until my practice deepened and really more till went to Asia um, and practice more deeply that, uh, that now I have like such a warm affection toward it. And I, I think the work that you've done just personally, like makes you more ripe to hear that insight and actually go, Oh, wow, there's something freeing about that. But there might be a lot of people listening that hear that. And like, there's a strong resistance to it. And I would just say for those like that, that's okay. And you can yeah. hold that resistance with curiosity. It's the wall. <laughs> yeah. The wall, yes. right? The love wall. the wall. Love, love the wall. Like love that's, the wall. That's, that's the beautiful part of this. Like you can see all of it and not do yeah. a damn thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that is the best, right? Yes. But it's, it's, it's a joy to see. Yeah. Like it really is a joy. Like, uh, you know, I would 100% live a life where I've seen all of this. And even the fact that even if I'm not ready to have that conversation with myself, mm. the fact that I know that that's somewhere I can get mm. is even that, that's just freedom. I don't know how the hell I'm going to get there, but knowing that that's a potential, that there's potential for that is just one of the most, I don't know. It just feels mm. right, man. It feels safe. It feels like life. It feels like yes. how life is supposed to feel like. Amen, brother. Yeah, dude. I feel like you and I could talk for just hours. <laughs> we could. We'll save it for our next hot tub session. Yeah, we'll ha we'll have to save it for the next hot tub time machine. Um, yeah. <laughs> Corey, talk to us about the book. Um, yeah. Obviously, guys, everyone listening. I mean, if you didn't fall in love with Corey already, um, I don't think I need to really vouch for this man. His brilliance in in every form. Um, talk yeah. to us about the book. A little bit about you know just. 
just all of it. Just tell me. To, yeah. Drop, drop some, drop some heat, bro. Yeah. The book is titled, uh, Stop Missing Your Life, How to Be Deeply Present in an Unpresent World. Well, a little background on the title. I originally wanted to call the book Deep Presence, but everyone said that sounded like an 80s porno. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, I wasn't around in the 80s, so I'm just going to have to trust you on that one. (laughs) So that one got shut down. And then the next next one that stuck for me was uh, Permission to be Human. And I think you could see that theme in our conversation here and like the threads that we're pointing to. But the publisher didn't like that. Working with the publisher can be tough. And they said, they took a, I had a chapter titled Focus, Stop Missing Your Life. And they said, what about that? What if we just make that the title? And I was like, nah, I don't like it. <laughs> because um, it's not something I would usually say to, to people, not a line that I typically say, I'd never say stop missing your life. But I thought about it more. And I shared it with some people. And um, there was something about it that really seemed to hit the zeitgeist. Like if you look at our world right now, it's just so easy to get caught in the flow of our lives and not in a good way, get caught in automatic pilot, disconnect from ourselves that we, we quite literally lose touch with the pulse of our life. And this book is an invitation and an opportunity uh, and a roadmap to reconnect with your life in a profound way. So I spent about a couple, about a year and a half of full-on writing, you know, yeah. a half a year before that planning, and it's done. And I'm so proud to share it. And it's designed, if you feel like we got like a little deep in this episode, I know some people love that. A lot of people are like, yeah, I don't know about that. Um, the book is designed to be extremely relatable and accessible uh, and takes fairly deep ideas and, and makes them uh, very practical. Yeah, that book is available wherever books are sold. Stop Missing Your Life. And if you also want, I have a bunch of free meditations, book recommendations, app recommendations. Anyone can get those if you just text your email address to plus one six three one four zero five four six three one, And uh, you'll get all that for free. And I'd also have a link to uh, anywhere you can find me. Best place to reach out to me is Instagram at Corey Mascara. If you read the book, I'd love to hear from you of, of uh, how it landed for you. I think you might have a few fans after this one. Um, guys, we'll make all those links available in the show notes. And Corey, you're one of those individuals that I would go out of my way to freaking scream from a rooftop for. So I, I just Thank really appreciate the way that you navigate this life and the way you articulate the different dimensions of being human. Um, mm. It's Thank it's, you. It's a joy to watch. And I'm just excited that the book's finally out because I know that You've been under a rock writing that thing and perfecting it. And it, uh, the fact that it's finally here is, is I'm very excited for you. Thank you, brother. So, it was uh, really awesome to reconnect here. And for those of you who are listening that haven't met Raj, just know that he is as authentic and profound and beautiful in person as he comes across over the podcast. It really was awesome connecting with you last year for the first time. And yeah. So appreciate your friendship. I'm sad we don't get to see each other more, but maybe you can move to Long Island. From yeah, maybe I can Texas. move to Long Island. <laughs> Not right now, though. It's freaking cold, dude. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. stay in a nice, warm, 80 degree weather in Austin. I hear that. Yeah. So, I'll move to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, bro. Well, I got one last question for you. Sure. Um, in the midst of everything you're doing, everywhere you've been, and everywhere you're going, how do you stay grounded? The first thing I always do is come back to my body. The body is always present and the body is always quite literally grounded. It's, it's the material 
that connects us to the material world. So anytime that I find I'm just overwhelmed with what's going on, I reconnect to where I feel that overwhelm in the body. I don't try to get rid of the overwhelm. I actually just start by feeling that. That's the first thing. Simple, probably been said before, but it's important and can be said over and over. The other thing is, um, I come back to this, uh, this quote, good luck, bad luck, who knows? It's a, a Zen parable, parable or short story. Um, this Zen farmer had a horse, the horse ran away. All the villagers came by and said, oh, such bad luck. He said, bad luck, good luck, who knows? A week later, the horse came back, brought a herd of horse, horses. And then the old villagers said, wow, this is such great luck. He said, good luck, bad luck, who knows? <laughs> Next week, the son fell off the horse's back, broke his leg. All the villagers said, such bad luck. He said, bad luck, good luck, who knows? Following week, the army came by, conscripted all the able-bodied young men, saw the farmer's son, broke his leg, walked by. All the villagers said, wow, such good luck. Farmer response, good luck, bad luck, who knows? So there's something in that that I find very grounding and taking that perspective in life. When we try to control our outcomes and uh, it's just, it creates extra tension. We've all had experiences where good things lead to bad stuff and where bad things lead to great stuff. We can move to a much deeper sense of equanimity with that perspective and it's something that I'm constantly trying to reconnect to. So in all of those moments where... I miss the airplane or something bad happens. It's just bad luck, good luck, luck who knows. Dude, such a legend, man. God, <laughs> like, just such a legend. Bro, I, I, like I said, I, I'm just grateful we got the chance to tango in this way. I'm glad it took the time it did. Right? Yes. Things came in time, and I think there was a divine time to have this conversation and, and share this message, so... So um, thank you, brother. Thank you, Raj. All right, well, everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your new friend, Corey. And from us, stay grounded. We'll chat soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.